are listening to Think Funny with Aaron Donnelly, Nate Sadler, and Matt Donnelly. For show notes and to check out Aaron's books, please visit AaronDonnelly.com. And now, the show that only thinks it's funny, the Think Funny Podcast. Welcome, everyone, to the Think Funny Podcast, this week in History Edition. This is Aaron Donnelly. I am here with my co-host, Nate Sadler. Hey, everybody. And Matt Donnelly. Hello, fellas. And this week, we are continuing our... Matt, do you want to give it the intro? This week in history! (laughs) Ah, shoot, that's better than mine. That was more than I expected. (laughs) Cut that, that's better than mine. Before we get going, uh, how was uh, you guys' week? Anything you guys wanted to talk about? Well, I was, um, I was sitting there watching college football on Saturday, and then I hear this faint noise. I'm like, what is that? My seven-year-old's sitting next to me on her phone, and she hears it too, and all of a sudden she gets really excited. She recognizes what it is. It's the ice cream truck. Oh, and, wow. <laughs> and I live in a condo with a bunch of old people, so it's the last place you would ever expect an ice cream truck. Yeah. But it's that song that just makes you like – leave everything you're doing and just run and try to find money. <laughs> right. Yeah. It immediately causes you to drop whatever you're doing. That song is so, um, yeah, you know, it has so much power. Yeah. Uh, unlike any other song. I think you could pinpoint a turning point in America when the ice cream man started to be looked at as shady or a potential pedophile because in the fifties, it was like image of America or whatever. But then there came a point, maybe the late seventies where he was suspect. And whenever that point was, I love sometimes that like when you're playing in a softball tournament or something, there'll be a guy and it's not even a truck. It's a cooler on a scooter and he sits on the cooler (laughs) and comes around. And then in, in Asia for garbage, uh, the garbage truck has that ice cream truck sound and you hear it and you have to walk your bags to the corner. That's how they do garbage there. It's a little less of an experience. This week, see, I have a statistical mind. I think it's the job I do, but I've been thinking about the ratio of good tattoos to bad tattoos. Mm. I, I have nothing against a good tattoo. I know several people with awesome looking tattoos i've been just pondering what do you think the ratio is i'm gonna say 90 to 95 percent mm. of tattoos are bad i was gonna say yeah. 80 20 but okay uh, yeah all right yeah, yeah it, i mean are there any i would guess the question would be are there any good nascar tattoos that would be my interest i want to go on search across america for the per, for a good nascar tattoo jeff Gordon's you know face on one cheek <laughs> It's similar to there's no good truck tailgate paintings. It seems like a good idea. Like, yeah, this is going to be great. None of them are good. It's the same thing painted on a tailgate that 70-year-old women with long hair that are kind of still hippie, they wear shirts that like that, like have a wolf howling at the moon. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, I get you. Yeah. Yeah. Matt, do you got any regrets about your tattoos at all? Maybe the one that the barbed wire one that I got and then Pam Anderson got a year after that. So. <laughs> what that did you one think I when you saw it. the Pam Anderson movie poster for barbed wire oh. come out? <laughs> <laughs> the only thing I had was uh, if I were to pick a single music artist and it was the easiest transfer from singing to drunken stupor singing, it would be Neil Diamond. I've been listening to a lot of Neil Diamond lately, and uh, 
it's I can almost it's almost effortless to transfer into like just imagining him in Vegas like Raglan Rose, you're a store bought woman. <laughs> oh, you're right, Aaron. You've nailed it. Oh man, it's like you fall into it on accident. You don't even want to. Picture like some blue haired old lady like at a casino, ashing her cigarette, looking unimpressed as he's stupering around. <laughs> September morning. Have I sent you guys the video of me doing uh, Sweet Caroline on the Disney cruise? And the crowd goes absolutely apeshit. No, you did. I love that one, Nate. That was great. Yeah. No, I want this crowd like eating out of my hand. I'm going to go down in the crowd with the microphone. And this year, I'm either going to do Kentucky Woman or Hallelujah. Solitary Man. Or uh, Brother Love Salvation Shows. That, that one. one would bring down the house. There was a dude on that Disney cruise that was sitting by us and he was talking to us. And he's probably in his 50s. And I'm this guy's just blasted. He's a little bit on the trashy side. And I'm just like, he's like, oh, yeah, I'm going to go up after you guys. And I'm like, okay, bud. This guy went up and he had the voice of an angel. <laughs> the crowd was just like standing up and cheering. And then he comes back down. And he's like, yeah, that's pretty good, huh? I'm like, how did that you? How? So this week, we are covering the dates of October 10th through October 16th. October the 10th. Julianne Kopecki. She mm. was the survivor of a German airline crash. Uh, she was the only survivor of the Lanza Flight 508. The plane crashed uh, over the Amazon rainforest in 1971. She fell approximately two miles and survived an 11-day ordeal through the jungle. She found like a bag of candy in the wreckage, and that's what kept her alive. Wow. But she had serious injuries too, I guess. So she wasn't like, just like, well, all right, better start going. <laughs> Man, you could really mess with her if you're the first human that she sees and act like it's the afterlife. I just wouldn't feel right if I didn't do a first in flight era one. Yeah. I'm just totally changing the direction of the podcast. But uh, <laughs> uh, Gustav Whitehead died October 10th, 1927. The Bavarian-born American inventor, according to some documents, he made the first manned heavier-than-air flight in 1901, two years before the Wright brothers. Reports were published in the New York Herald and the Bridgeport Herald. It flew about 800 meters at a height of 15 meters and landed softly to the ground i feel like that time period was really ripe with people getting credit for things when someone else had already done it well, you had inventing no way. the car inventing the light bulb whatever else it just really felt like someone else we know now is famous but really there was someone else that did it mm -hmm. first first one that runs to the patent office and gets their patent in first. The infancy of maybe national media and like the newspaper rags and, and all this to get publicity in a new way. So maybe people capitalize on that. Like today, it's the infancy of the internet. And so there's all kinds of scams. I love the song, The Newspaper Rag. That's my third favorite ragtime song. That's what I call it in the biz. The rag. The rag, see? I was on the street corner selling a paper for a nickel, see? I love bizarre deaths. Yeah. My favorite one of all time is, I can't think of the name of the guy, but it was in ancient Greece. It was a, a prominent person in society who apparently an eagle was flying with a turtle in his talons. 
and the, he dropped the turtle onto this guy's head and the guy died. No way. Yeah. Eagles will sometimes pick up a turtle and take it up high and then drop it on the rocks to like crack the shell. But apparently this guy was bald and thought he was a rock and <laughs> dropped it on a man, killed him. And two, two guys in ancient Greece were killed by pears. I love that one too. I, we'll have to just do a whole episode on it sometime. But here's another bizarre death. October 10th, 1911, uh, American whiskey maker Jack Daniel, according to legend, he died of blood poisoning from a wound he incurred while kicking a safe open because yes. he had forgotten the combination. Yeah, and so, I have went there on the tour and kicked that same safe. You go into his office and you kick, you kick it as you walk by. So he, uh, he, you're right. He, he was like a short, angry man, and he had a real temper. And you think he had a drinking problem? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> they let you actually kick the safe? Yeah, he just walked through his office and kicked the safe. And that's <laughs> that reminds me of when I was working at the motorhome factory, they had these jacks, and I was in the warranty department and I had checked in a jack, and they're really heavy, like they're, you know, like 70 pounds or 80 pounds. Anyway, I put it back in the box, and the guy that I was working with later picked up the box and it fell through the bottom and onto his toe. Oh. And it broke his toe, and his toe healed permanently in like a 45-degree up angle, like the, the big toe did. So he had a settlement agreement with the company. They paid him a certain amount, dollar amount, for every degree up that the toe was. And, what? But then he walked around with the hobble because your, his big toe doesn't touch the ground. And I felt terrible, of course. But then I drew this cartoon and hung it up of him with the toe sticking up 45 degrees. And then you were so. sued for that. October the 11th. OnThisDay.com had probably the funniest entry that I've read yet. And if you didn't know who this person was, you'd be very confused. 1995, John Bobbitt has plastic surgery to increase his penis size three inches. And I was From thinking, zero? is that really <laughs> of historical significance <laughs> that you have to put that in there? It's not the cutting event. Six years later that he had the increase in size. After It was between pornos that he did, between uncut and uh, Franken-penis. But did they just like splice it like an electrical connector? So I went back to the, the original story uh, with his wife uh, cut off his penis. And whoever wrote the Wikipedia entry like has my utmost respect because I just want to read it here. She then grabbed a eight-inch carving knife on the kitchen counter, returned to the bedroom, pulled back the bed sheets, and cut off his penis. After this, Lorena left the apartment with the severed appendage and drove away in her car. After driving a while and struggling to steer with one hand, meaning she had the penis in the other hand, she threw it out the window onto a roadside field. Oh, she, eventually, she eventually stopped and called 911, telling them what had happened and where the penis could be found. John Bobbitt's penis was found after an exhaustive search. Could you imagine being on that search? It's the middle of the night, and you're like with a flashlight. Uh, oh, so she was driving a stick shift. <laughs> <laughs> and after being washed with antiseptic and packed in saline ice, it was reattached in the hospital where he was treated. The operation took nine and a half hours. But yeah. back in, in tip-top shape, huh? Yeah. He was good wow. enough to do some, you know, to have a, a working career. 1975, Saturday Night Live uh, debuted 
And mm. uh, the guest host was George Carlin on the first yeah. episode. You know, every generation thinks that their SNL was the best SNL. And you get these old timers that are like the original cast. Okay, you go and watch an entire episode of original year. Um, it's it, no, no, it's not watchable. October the 12th. First pig to human liver transplant. October 12th, 1992, Cedar sinai Medical Center performs the operation on a 26-year-old woman. She dies shortly thereafter. That's all I got on that. <laughs> Thisdaytrivia.com is where that one was found. So everybody check out that website. It's a good one. Um, I got, uh, so the Bellamy salute to the American flag. So, okay. The guy that wrote the pledge of allegiance and he originally also came up with the salute Francis Bellamy as to what he believed was the proper salute. And it is the Heil Hitler salute. So that was in schools up until 1942 when it was like, Hey, uh, the Nazis are doing this. And so Congress officially replaced it with the hand over the heart salute, uh, as an act of Congress in 1942, October 12th, 1997, John Denver killed in a plane crash. And Matt, you said when it happened, the LA DJs were playing, leaving on a jet plane that same day. Mm -hmm. Right. That's, that's ruthless. Yeah, it is weird. It was very strange. Let it be a lesson to you kids. Don't buy a used experimental airplane. <laughs> it was. It was an experimental airplane, a one-man plane. They put the fuel switch behind the pilot instead of usually where it is at the legs. And so the pilot would have to turn 90 degrees entirely just to get to the switch. He lost control apparently while trying to switch the fuel tanks. And so that's, he flew into, I think the side of a mountain or a hill. And you know, what's ironic is uh, not really ironic, but uh, you know, Steve Prefontaine, Nate, you were texting about the Oregon mm -hmm. track star. So he died going around a curve here in Eugene up in the Hills. There's a rock there where a lot of track runners go and place their shoes and their medals and stuff. But he died going around a curve in his convertible MG. And the rumor was that it flipped and he was reaching for a John Denver tape. Because a John Denver tape was found in the floorboards of the overturned MG. I don't think there's any meaning connecting the two. If you would have said that Prefontaine was swerving to avoid a ham sandwich in the middle of the road, <laughs> then we could tie all this together. I am an unabashed John Denver fan. Like, oh yeah, definitely. I listen to his live albums. I We love him. Like I don't even care who knows it. Like I have purposely spent time learning all the words to thank God I'm a country boy. And it's not easy. It's almost like a rap. It's sort <laughs> of a good pump up song. A simple kind of life never did me no harm or raising me a family and working on the farm. My days are all filled with an easy country charm. Thank God I'm a country boy. Well, I got me a fire, got me old fiddle when the sun's coming up, kicks on the riddle. Life ain't nothing but a butter on a riddle. Thank God I'm a country boy. October the 13th. Well, I can tell you, it's another unfunny day in history, but... <laughs> <laughs> 
But we'll see if it's interesting, at least. Got something hot air balloon related. Was it the first flight? Because I had that one and I actually passed on it and I'm sorry. What? <laughs> what? I'm sorry. We're Nate. trying to turn this podcast into something else. So. Uh, October 13th, 1860. The first aerial photograph is taken mm. in the United States. Photographer James Wallace Black takes a photograph of the city of Boston from a hot air balloon. He titled the photograph Boston as the eagle and the wild goose would see it. And when he got back to the ground, I'm sure all his Southie buddies in Boston were making fun of him for such a yeah. title. But know. you know, there was some guy five years earlier that did the same thing. Yeah. It just is unrecognized. I feel like I, as a kid, I spent a lot of time trying to do the math and figure out how to get a bottle rocket with a camera or a kite with bottle rocket camera combination like that that is so achievable now with drones but then mm -hmm. it was like you're working with sticks and stones trying to get this thing to work is there anything more fun than shooting a bottle rocket mm -hmm. no we would do it on the top of my truck they had these little ridges on the roof so you could light a bottle rocket and put it into the ridge as you were driving it would shoot ahead of you like james bond and so we did that one time, me and Jay, Jay lit it wrong and the bottle rocket flew into the cab and was <laughs> going off inside the cab while we were driving. October 13th, uh, 1307. So we're in a, a good time frame here. King Philip IV of France orders the arrest of the French Knights Templar, claiming that during Templar initiation ceremonies, recruits were forced to spit on the cross, deny Christ and engage in indecent kissing i don't want to think that's that still in the mason lodge is it really the moose people no oh. i'm just kidding uh, <laughs> not uh, the elks lodge people that just stood on the cross and then we have the birthday of i don't know if it's a comedy idol but somebody who i do appreciate for what he did for free speech lenny bruce Mm -hmm. uh, born October 13th, 1925, uh, author of How to Talk Dirty and Influence People. He was deported from Britain in 1963 and arrested for obscenity on multiple occasions. Uh, he was banned from Australia after his first performance. Here's some quotes from Lenny Bruce. Everyday people are straying away from the church and going back to God. Another quote, uh, the liberals can understand everything, but people who don't understand them. October the 14th. Yeah. 1862, baseball player James Creighton dies from hitting a home run after he ruptures his urinary bladder. How um, do you burst your bladder? I didn't know that was possible. Well, he really had to go, man. Holding it all game and got up in the bottom of the ninth. You tell me they didn't have a bucket in the dugout? Well, this is what I'm saying, Nate. How many more have to die before our society takes peeing in a bottle seriously? Got 1912. While campaigning for the Bull Moose Party, Teddy Roosevelt was shot while giving a speech by John Flaming Shrank. And this one was Flaming great. Shrank. <laughs> <laughs> you know that was a, a swear word back then. I don't know what it means. Because Is he a Bull Moose man? No, he's a real Flaming Shank. <laughs> he's a Flaming Shank. Uh, but Shank, Shrank, I think it's Shrank. Shrank uh, uh, evidently had a dream. And in the dream, uh, President McKinley told him to kill Teddy Roosevelt to avenge his death. But Most old-timey dream ever. Fly there in a balloon. 
But the story is pretty crazy because he shoots him and the, the bullet goes through his eye, Teddy Roosevelt's uh, steel eyeglass case in his 50-page speech before it lodges inside his chest. Oh. But Roosevelt knows enough about anatomy that he realizes that he's okay. Like it's just a flesh wound. So he continues to give his speech for 90 minutes while the bullet mm -hmm. is inside of him. When I hear the word tough son bitch, I think of like a picture of Teddy Roosevelt's face. I think of him forever in an old timey gymnasium with a full body, like unitard <laughs> lifting in a medicine ball. <laughs> there was a lot of medicine ball related activities back then. <laughs> there was, was a lot the... of just putting your arms out in front of you and bending down. October the 15th. I Love Lucy premieres 1951 on CBS TV. So I Love Lucy, interesting, uh, it, it was not filmed in New York. All of the TV shows back then were filmed in New York and shown live to the East Coast. Um, they didn't have the technology to actually broadcast TV shows all around the country at that time. So what would happen is the New York audiences would get really clear images on their TV. And the rest of the United States would be filmed in what's called a, a kinescopes where they basically just filmed a screen of the show and sent those tapes out across the country. And that's what they would show. So the rest of the country got really low quality TV. The thing about I Love Lucy is they, they, they lived in LA. They wanted to do their show in LA. And so they had to invent a new way to uh, a three camera system of filming and then having these high quality film reels, I guess, sent around the country. So it was really expensive to film it that way. But uh, Desi Arnaz struck a deal with the production company. They would take a large cut in their salaries in order to film this way. And then what he would get in exchange was they would retain ownership of the films. And so what they ended up with is all these high quality 35 millimeter film that they owned. And when it hit syndication, they really cashed in. So this was a huge strategy financially that Lucy and Desi Arnaz did. An interesting thing about I Love Lucy's show was that smoking was required on camera because okay so the show almost didn't make it to air they could cbs couldn't find a sponsor and they finally got philip morris at the very last minute to sponsor the show and so lots of smoking had to be featured in each episode the name philip morris had to be worked into the dialogue wherever they could the only problem was lucille ball was a chesterfield girl and so they <laughs> they gave her philip morris packs full of chesterfield cigarettes I'd rather fight than give up my Tarleton cigarettes or whatever. I love that ad. That's my favorite cigarette ad where like the person has a black eye. It's always a woman yeah. with a black eye and like a man in the background with his arms full. It's like there's so many problematic there, messages. Yes. <laughs> Every cigarette ad is inappropriate or strange. Like the Newport cigarette ads, a guy's fencing near a waterfall and everybody's laughing and I'm like... <laughs> What the hell is, what's the pretext here? How did this, how did we get here? Uh, my favorite Lucille Ball thing though is, like I told you guys before, we were, I was probably sixth grade and you guys were maybe were in eighth grade and Ben Hackbarth, our buddy, had just gotten a new Bible and <laughs> I opened it up and, you know, it says births and mm -hmm. deaths and all that. under deaths, he wrote Lucille Ball. <laughs> R.I.P. Yeah. October 15th, 1992, uh, President Bush, this is the first President Bush, he didn't know his mic was still on. There was a comment about female candidates running for Senate, and he muttered under his breath, I hope a lot of them lose. <laughs> So that was uh, so that got me wondering if there's other like gaffes. Uh, another one 
more recent is when Obama didn't know his mic was on and he called it Kanye West a jackass. Uh, there's one where uh, Bush Jr. calls a New York Times reporter a major league a-hole mm-hmm. and Dick Cheney's next to him and he says, oh yeah, big time. <laughs> that was on the record. My favorite, and it's not a president, it's Ernest Borgnine. Now just picture his face. He, it's 2009. He's 92. A journalist asked him, how did he stay looking and feeling so young? And he said, I don't dare tell you. And then he leaned in close. So picture Ernest Borgnine's face leaning in close and whispering to you. And he said, I masturbate a lot. (laughs) Oh, no. (laughs) That that ruins SpongeBob for me. 1988, uh, World Series Game 1, Kirk Gibson's home run, which is just one of the greatest moments, in, in my opinion, in baseball. Just the fact that he was the MVP that year, he was out, not expected. He wasn't even in the dugout, not even expected to play. He had two bad legs and like a bad hip. Bottom of the ninth, two outs, he comes out. And just the call that Scully gives mm-hmm. is just awesome. And look who's coming up. All year long, they look to him to light the fire. And all year long, he answered the demands until he was physically unable to start tonight with two bad legs, the bad left hamstring and the swollen right knee. And with two out, you talk about a roll of the dice. This is it. If he hits the ball on the ground, I would imagine he would be running 50% to first base. So the Dodgers trying to catch lightning right now. Look at his crowd on its feet. What a tribute. Four three A's. Two out ninth inning. Not a bad opening act. Gibson was so banged up. He was not introduced. He did not come out onto the field before the game. You can really see the limp. Uh, He's not driving that ball. It was by him. Let's see. He's really almost he almost has to talk to his legs and say, hey, let's go. We got to get out of here. It's one thing to favor one leg, but you can't favor two. No way. And that's what he's trying to do. He really is. Gibson shaking his left leg, making it quiver like a horse trying to get rid of a troublesome fly. High fly ball into right field. She In a year that has been so improbable, the impossible has happened. And now the only question was, could he make it around the base paths unassisted? You know, I said it once before, a few days ago, that Kirk Gibson was not the most valuable player, that the most valuable player for the Dodgers was Tinkerbell. But tonight, I think Tinkerbell backed off for Kirk Gibson. And look at Eckersley, shocked to his toes. They are going wild at Dodger Stadium. No one wants to leave. 
the most famous pugilistic boxer of the time, John L. Sullivan. He would travel all around doing exhibition tours and going into any town and challenge anyone to a fight. Um, nice. And he won over 450 of these fights. He said he would go into a bar and loudly proclaim, I can lick any son of a bitch in this bar. Then he would actually lick them. No, I was kidding. Then he would uh, fight him. And uh, yeah. And so, and that's, he ended up being the first uh, athlete to ever amass a million dollars. Show, and, show and, idea. How about yeah. Conor McGregor travels the country. He's got a briefcase with like a million dollars in it in cash. Yes. And, yeah. he, and he walks into some random bar, opens the briefcase. Wouldn't that yeah. be awesome? Who would not watch that? And especially yeah. if it was like unannounced, like the fight will be, we've, we've set it up secretly. Here's where it's going to be in town. Let everybody know. That would be a craze that um, would be. on social That's media. A great idea. October the 16th. We have the death of the uh, first American uh, flying ace of World War I. Ah. Uh, Douglas Campbell died uh, October 16th, 1990. Wow. American aviator and World War I flying ace. He was the first American flying in the American unit uh, to achieve the status of ace when he downed his fifth enemy aircraft on May 31st, 1918. So, so they had guns on the... They weren't like throwing rocks out the top of that. <laughs> They've always showed that as the machine gun in front of the pilot, but how did the bullets go through the blades? <laughs> Nate, you're, man, you are a... This is becoming the air, early air flight podcast. Isn't it, isn't it awesome though? Because I'm, not, I'm, I'm just know. doing the days the good Lord gave me. Birthday, October 16th, 1833, the inventor of lawn tennis, which I think is the stupidest thing ever, Major Walton Clopton Wingfield. He's wearing a Scottish-looking beret. Just Google image search this guy because it's the it's the picture. He's got his, his one arm on his hip like he's a little teapot. And the <laughs> other one... Stout. And the other one, he's got the weird tennis racket kind of cradled in the crook of his elbow. He's got kind of a weird neck beard going on. We always talk about these old timey guys that look ridiculous. And just because of their pomp, they just seem very pompous blowhards. But imagine if we went back in time, do you think they would actually, we would actually like really find them very annoying? This guy, yes. If you saw, <laughs> Google the picture and you know yeah. that the guy posed like this for probably a few hours. He's awfully proud of himself for inventing lawn mm. tennis. October 16th, 1992, a topless woman is found in a Where's Waldo puzzle. I, th I think I remember crazy. going and searching for it. So it's a cartoon drawing. It's in one of the It'd books. Be funny if it was a real picture just <laughs> randomly inserted into a Where's Waldo. That would stick out. It'd be, it'd be easy to find. It made me, for some reason, think of, have you guys ever heard of about at Walt Disney World and Walt Disneyland that there was a guy that was an artist that was disgruntled, so he, he'd paint really weird things into certain paintings. No. Well, is, are you talking about like the Little Mermaid poster? No, like at the theme oh. parks. Oh, uh, one oh. of the okay, one of the guys you pay like twenty bucks and draws a, paint, a picture of you. Well, like the guy was commissioned to do all this artwork and apparently drew oh, okay. drew all these little things. And Although I like Matt's idea better, the caricature artists if they draw like really <laughs> inappropriate things. <laughs> I'll have to do that. Last time I got really into pin trading, so maybe I'll look for pornographic drawings next. Who, who do you pin trade with there? Oh, man. Everyone. Have you ever seen the pin trading things? I have no idea what you're talking about. Okay. 
So you get these lanyards and then you can go to the stores and you buy, they're like $6 a pen or something. And then you put them on your lanyard and you walk around and anyone that has a lanyard, you can trade with them. And lots of people trade because they're looking for certain pens. And you go into stores and they have these books open that anyone can just trade your, you can trade with them. And it's sounding more lame the more I talk about it, yeah. but I had a lot yeah. of fun doing it. <laughs> You're not talking it up. <laughs> Me and Jenny did it and I was trying to find all the bald pins, all the bald characters I could find. And so uh, I went around doing that. You're going to see pictures of me on the next cruise. My shirt's just going to be all pins. (laughs) Get that Neil Diamond pin. (laughs) Thanks, everyone, for listening to the Think Funny Podcast. This is Aaron Donnelly for Nate Sadler and Matt Donnelly. Check us out on Facebook at uh, the Think Funny Podcast. Um, And if you'd like to email us, it's thinkfunnypodcast at gmail.com. Shoot us an email, say hi, and ask us a question or whatever. Anyway, thanks for listening. (laughs) In a year that has been so improbable, the impossible has happened. Between Uncut and uh, Frankenpenis. Thanks for listening to Think Funny. If you enjoyed the show, please take a moment to like subscribe, and tell a friend. If you have comments or topics for the guys, you can email them at thinkfunnypodcast at gmail.com. And check out aarondonley.com for today's show notes and much more. (laughs) 